Hello and welcome to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkinson and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we have Paul Whiteside from The Devil in the Detail. Looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. Paul? Yeah, certainly I'm Rob. Looking forward to the show. It's been another busy week, hasn't it? And I'm, uh, I'm sure we'll be looking forward to a good show chatting about it. Yeah, I've got lots and lots to talk about. And we've got James Sweeten from the Sweeten and Salford podcast to tell us what's going on in the world of sport, James. Yeah, I've had a tremendous week, Ram. I can't wait to talk all things sport. Most importantly, the European Championships. It's getting tasty now, isn't it? Last 16. Can't wait to break it down for you. Yeah, lots and lots to go at on the show on the Sports Zone this week. I'm going to start with Rugby League, Paul, and Salford Devils' defeat against Leeds Rhinos. They lost 38 points to 12. Uh, talk us through the game, Paul. Uh, yeah, difficult one, Rob, to be honest with you. I thought both sides came out and you know, played some, some good stuff early doors. It was a, a real set-for-set set battle and then it all sort of changed on the on the sending off, really. Um, Lee Mossop sent uh, sent off and along with um, the Leeds player as well. So, um, a couple of sim binners for Salford players and the two tries right at half-time seemed to change the game. It was, uh, you know, quite quite a close thing at, the, at that time and Leeds got two tries. Richie Myler right on the stroke of half-time, back-to-back tries and it sort of took the game away from Salford. But as I said, the, the sending off of, of Lee Mossop, even though the Leeds man went as well, Bodine Thompson, it seemed to unsettle us. We lost uh, Jack Wells to the Simbin in the first half, Ryan Lennon to the Simbin in the second half and disciplines cost us again today, really. And I thought the forwards were poor at times Leeds, Leeds seemed to run the ball harder than us and, and tackle harder and have a bit more enthusiasm than us and, and they overran us at times and it, it was disappointing especially after the good result we had last week at Huddersfield you know it's like a step forward last week and two steps back this week so 38-12 probably flattered us in a way really I think Leeds could have had more points than what they did and the game seemed to fizzle out I think for them they had a couple of players who played in the game on Friday night the, the England game and Perhaps their coach said to them with 20 minutes to go, you know, you've got this game in the bag. Don't get sucked into the the, the arm wrestling. Just uh, hold Salford at arm's length, which which what they did. So uh, a disappointing result for the supporters of Richard Marshall. He's got a lot of work to do this week now with a short turnaround with Wakefield on Thursday night. Yeah, with uh, Lee Mossop getting sent off and Ryan Lannan getting simbin, as well as Jack Wells. Discipline is becoming a major issue at Salford, uh, Paul. How does Richard Marshall fix that? Obviously, on, on the field, these particular incidents were more retaliatory uh, situations where previous games, they've, they've come from high tackles and things like that. So it's, it's a mixture of discipline, really, that the, 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 the players are suffering from. So how does Richard Marshall fix that? Well, it certainly is. I mean, if you go back over recent seasons and seasons in the past, you probably see maybe one red card a season, don't you? I mean, if you're lucky, we've had three red cards now in three matches running. We had Paulie Paulie sent off at UKR. We had Sajid sent off last week at Huddersfield and then uh, Lee Moss at this week. So we've had quite a few simbinis throughout the season as well and that's all added up. And what it does do, it, it disrupts the team and people have to fill in. Now, now you could be looking at a suspension now for, for um, Lee Mossop. You could be looking at bands for, for Ryan Lennon and Jack Wells as, as well. So that's going to disrupt the team for next week. So Richard Marshall's having trouble in, in getting a settled side. And that's been the, the whole sort of disappointment of this season. He's not been able to pick a, a consistent 13 week in, week out. And you've noticed again today, players have had to play out of position. How does Richard Marshall fix that? He's difficult. I think the players have got to take responsibility sometimes and for their own actions. You know, Lee Mossop today getting getting sent off. You could argue a case of that self-defence. I, I saw the incident as I was sat with you and 
Comrade Hurrell seemed to go for um, for Lee Mossop from the tackle. He didn't like the, the tackle that Mossop put. It was a good hit. But then he's retaliated and he's gone for Lee Mossop. And Lee Mossop has just in his self-defence has swung a sort of a right hook and, and, and he's landed it or, or more or less landed it cleanly. And that's what's, uh, what's got him sent off. So... It's difficult. I mean, you, you can't expect a player to be a punch bag and take a, a shot off somebody else. He's, he's going to fire back. So Richard Marshall's he's got his hands tied there, really. Lee Mossop, he's been playing the game a long time, a very, very experienced player. Sometimes you have to sort of turn the other cheek, don't you? But it's difficult when you're in that situation. It's the heat of the moment sort of thing. So that sort of discipline side is difficult. The high tackle scenario and things like that, that is something they can work on in training and is obviously a tackling technique. You know, with Dan Sargent, he's had a couple of bands this season for things. So you hope they'll be working on that. The Jack Wells one as well was a, was a dangerous tackle, I think the referee said. And the Ryan Lannan thing was a bit of a, a petulant, you know, spat with uh, with Luke Gale. So there's an awful lot to work on, Rob, an awful lot to work on. And Wakefield's going to be a real tough game on Thursday night. They've got a decent side now. They've got a couple of good results recently. They've got a decent spine, settled halfbacks. They're, they're going to be a tough side to, to, to beat and tough side to break down. So Thursday, I'm looking forward to it, obviously, but, you know, I'm a bit nervous for it as well because it could be another tough night. Yeah, the consistency for me, Paul, that's the problem. Uh, playing players consistently in positions every week. We're not seeing that at the moment due to injuries and discipline. And Richard Marshall is probably feeling the heat because of that because obviously fans are frustrated that we're not hitting the heights from previous seasons. The effort's there and the commitment's there. And Richard Marshall himself, you know, he knows what he, his players need to do to get a result. Uh, but at the moment, it's just not quite clicking. No, that's right. And I've seen a few people say today at the match and on social media, why has he played Morgan Eskery on the wing? Why has he played two of the way at fullback? Got no choice. We've not got anybody else to put on the wing. So I think Morgan Eskery's had to play there. I mean, I can't think of anybody else who could have played there today because they're so low on numbers. You know, Ken CEO would be the obvious choice, but he played for the uh, Combined Nations team about 36 hours previously. So it's difficult to get players to, to, to step up again. And don't forget, we've got you know, the Wakefield game on Thursday and then playing Hull on the Monday. So we've got a real short turnaround now with these three games. So you've got to manage the players and, and look after their welfare, haven't you? So it's going to be a difficult period in the, in the season now, this Wakefield game on Thursday. And then we've got a couple of away games. I think we've got three away games on the trot then, Hull, Castleford and Leeds. So it's a real, real pivotal point in the season. There is pressure on Richard Marshall. There's pressure on everybody in the Super League, all the coaches, but particularly coaches at the bottom when you're losing games week in, week out. I know we had a result against Huddersfield last week. But it was important today that we put in a performance. And, and for me, yeah, the first sort of half an hour of the game, we was in the game. It got away from us right before half time in the second half, as I said before, Leeds had us at arm's length. So that's a disappointing result. 38-12 at home is, is a disappointment. And, you know, you look back to our previous home game, 60 points against, against Warrington. The supporters have not really had a lot to shout about for the home games in recent weeks. Yeah, you can say that, Paul, and fans are frustrated. You look back at the, the results, I think it's is it two wins in 11 so far. You know, people yeah, right, begin yeah. to wonder what's going on. But like we said, we've had injuries, we've got suspensions, and Richard Marshall obviously can't sort of uh, make the players play You want the way he wants to play. The players lash out and are indisciplined. They will get punished, and you can't play uh, every game with 12 men. You'll get away with it sometimes, like we did against Huddersfield, but this time with uh, Lee Mossop getting Simbind and also spending... Uh, Lannan and Wells in the in the in the Simbin as well for a for a period. You're running out of bodies, aren't you? You certainly are, as you said there. I think there's quite a lot of mitigating circumstances this season for Richard Marshall. He's been tough on him, and we saw a good performance last week, and 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 then that then sets your benchmark. And then when you don't play like that the week after, it does frustrate people. And I think it's been a frustrating season so far. It's been difficult 
difficult. I mean, if you look at the side on paper, if you named you, you sort of top one to thirteen, that's that's good enough to compete with anybody in the league. But you, I think you can count on two fingers the amount of times we've had that that starting. I don't even think we've had that starting thirteen together all season. Really, there's always been somebody else suspended or and somebody's got injured or, or someone's picked a ban up or whatever. So it's it's difficult for Richard Marsh. He's then got to shuffle things round again. The spine gets shuffled round. There's no continuity there. There's no fluidity there in the team. And I think the big word for me is frustration. There's an awful lot of frustration in Salford's performances. You look at Moss up today. He was a frustrated man there. He lost the ball in the tackle. That's how Conrad Hull managed to get the ball off him in the first place. So he's frustrated losing the ball. He slams Conrad Hull on the floor. He then goes to Moss up. Moss up retaliates. And it sort of unravels from there, really, doesn't it? And things like this don't happen when you're winning matches and confidence is flowing. And it's not on the moment. It's clunky. We look clunky on attack. And it's very, very difficult to put your finger on it. It really is. Yeah, they played uh, two Lola here at fullback uh, this week, like you said. Um, and like I said, it is a bit clunky with uh, Patterson and um, Patton, sorry, and Chris Atkin at half backs. It's a different mould, obviously, with two Lola here, our number one standoff. Uh, it needs to be able to, to mix better, obviously, with injuries, not being able to, to do that. You're hoping the, these lads can, can find something and get the, uh, the moves going. Yeah, he certainly do, and it's been changed around a few times. I thought Chris Atkin played pretty well against against Leeds again. He organised well, he took his try well, and you can see he's, he's putting 100% commitment in every week. I thought Tui Lolly didn't do anything wrong at fullback. He's an elusive runner and dangerous player. Probably didn't offer that much on attack going forward, but he's settling into a new position there, so it depends how long he's going to be in that position for. When Dan Sideson does come back, is Richard Marshall going to put him back in at fullback? We'll have to, to wait and see on that one. So I think there was, I said in my report that there is positives, but these positives are few and far between. But there, there, there is, there's, there's good performance in there from certain players. I thought Elijah Taylor was magnificent. Uh, on on Sunday, you know, he he really did get bashed about in the tackle. He took an awful lot of punishment. He put himself about just watching him walk off at the end. He, he's walking off like an eighty-year-old man. He could hardly walk. He put that much effort in. He looked absolutely shattered. So there is good performances there. It's just that the, the team performance at the moment, you know, the forwards have got to start laying that platform. I think we saw Jack Armanroy come on. And for me, he needs to get a bit more game time because when he did come on, he made an impact. He was charging the ball. And I think for me, I had him in the side against uh, against Wakefield. But there's an awful lot of work to be done in training this week, Robin. And you know, some some players have got to start looking at themselves and saying, you know, do I want to, to, to play for Solver? Do I want to perform? Because I'm not saying there's no effort there, but there's definitely something lacking. As I said before, it's dead difficult to put your finger on it. A lot of it is down to, you know, this, this spine of the side not being there every week and discipline is is a difficult thing when you think back to the, the year we got to the grand final I think we was the cleanest team in Super League you know the least penalised team in Super League and um, that, that's gone sort of tenfold the other way now I think the penalty count was pretty high again on, on, on Sunday we conceded quite a lot of those six to goals as well so that's something where you're giving penalties away you're constantly on the back foot and you, you're frustrating yourselves and, and that's when these bad results come yeah, I spoke to Richard Marshall after the game, and this is what he had to say. Yeah, another game, another sending off and two sendings this time. What did you make of the incidents, and uh, how do you improve the players' discipline in such heated moments? I think uh, as a group, we've got to understand that um, you know there's certain things we can and can't do, and, and there's certain things the opposition can and can't do, uh, and we've got we we can only take control of what we what we do. Uh, our tackle technique's got to be better. Uh, our resilience uh, during them tough periods. 
it's got to be better as well. Um, but there's got to be a bit of consistency. Uh, you know, a couple of players from from the Leeds were throwing punches and and they got Simbins or or, or Stern Talkings twos and. We just think, we, yeah, we're getting a bit of a raw deal at the moment. But at the same time, our group's got to put the hands up. It just puts us all under pressure. Uh, it, you know, it's never about one person, whether they score the winning try or get sent off. It's about a collective team effort. Yeah, you recall two of all here and played them at fullback and put Morgan Italy on the wing. Both played well. Uh, do you think it's kind of a positional sort of permanent change now? Or do you think it's just more playing them there until you get some bodies back? Well, yeah, we, 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 you know, we're lacking with uh, Kevin Brown being out. We, we, we lost some leadership when Lee Mossopop obviously went off. We're lacking some direction, some leadership. Um, we, we played pretty much there with three halves, didn't we? With Deck, Chris and Tui. Uh, we, we, we wanted to get Morgan in. We thought Morgan's ready, ready, you know, ready to go. And uh, oh, He's probably not an out-and-out out winger, but he's got some pace. He's got some skill about him. Uh, Tui played pretty well, really. Uh, he think we think he can, um, you know, organise our last plays a lot better. I think that was probably the learn from there. That's all. Which he, which he has to do when he plays half back as well. Yeah, losing ten six at the back end of the first half. We had leads under pressure. We decided to take a penalty, kind of in front of the posts. Um, did you make that call, or, or was it the players? Well, we had one. We had a penalty. I think it was a previous set. We chose to run it. We got a little bit nearer. We we, we got a penalty, and we thought, you know, it's, it's it was a, a, a gimme for us. Um, yeah, I think that, that well, it was my, my call and, and the players uh, off the back of that. Yeah, second half in a tough scenario. Um, you, you sort of put the effort in and towards the back end. Uh, what did you learn from that second half? Well, we. We um, we learned that we didn't give in. We don't give in here, which is good. But we learned we've got to be a lot smarter uh, in our defence, in our contact. I thought Brad Dwyer had a field day against us. He was really quick and elusive and broke us down several times. Um, th there's a lot to review in that game. There's quite a lot of people who've got to look at their performance within our group because it wasn't good enough. Yeah, with injuries and suspensions mounting up the Wakefield uh, on Thursday and Hull on Monday, it's a tough test uh, for for your squad. Yeah, it is. It's going to and it's just going to get tougher. You know, if we keep playing that way and putting ourselves under pressure, it's going to keep getting tougher. Uh, but it was tough last week. We managed to come through. We'll come through this one again. We will. And um, but it's a big game on Thursday for us. What's the biggest test? Is it is it a physical or mental thing in these next two games? Not quite sure. Uh, depends what team we get out on what we what, what we what we can get out um, on Thursday. We'll we'll hopefully have a couple back. Obviously, Greg Burke will be back. I'm hopeful Danny Addy would will be available. We're, I'm sure we'd have picked up a couple more injuries today, though. Um, listen, the, the the game was originally on Friday. You know, it's two days. It probably doesn't make too much difference, but uh, it'll be yeah. Obviously, Wakefield are coming off a decent performance as well, so. It'll be it'll be tough for us, but listen, we'll be we'll be we'll be fighting on Thursday, guarantee. Cheers, Rick. Good luck. But not getting red cards. When I say fighting, I don't mean fighting. <laughs> fighting. Trust me. Yeah, I've had enough Hopefully. of that. <laughs> Cheers, Rick. So that was Richard Marshall talking to himself, Paul, after the game, and he he was saying that obviously 
bar the discipline. Uh, the players showed good character in that second half, but he did say that some players in that team need to look at themselves because the performance wasn't good enough. So it's kind of a, a balancing act there of players need to start finding a bit of form and players who are doing okay now. That's right, that's right. You want to win matches, you've all got to play well. You can't be looking at just individuals putting the work in every week and, and, and pulling you out of trouble. Some weeks that'll work but most weeks it won't you've all got to go to the, the, the well and, and do and do what you're supposed to do put a shift in so so yeah feel for Richard Marshall at the moment I mean last week it looked like we turned a bit of a corner there against Huddersfield so this week it was it was disappointing I mean I know I've come home and, and, and sulked a bit on, on Sunday afternoon because you do you, you're very, very disappointed with that And but the, the thing is we've got a quick turnaround now and it's a pressure game against Wakefield, I think, now. You know, I think Lee Centurions play Leeds away this week, so that's going to be a tough game for them. But as soon as they do get a result, and I'm sure they will, that's going to start putting pressure on us. So we need to, to, to get another result. I mean, more than, more than a result, we need a performance. We need to play well against Wakefield. And then if the result comes, the result comes. But we need another good performance. Yeah, so we have two games this week, Paul. They play Wakefield on Thursday and then travel up to Hull against Hull FC on Monday. Difficult period. Obviously, two good sides there. It's going to be a big test. He certainly is. Wakefield, as I said before, have started to hit a bit of form. They had a cracking result against Wigan in the weekend just gone. I mean, Wigan were missing a few players, but that's no disrespect to Wakefield. They've come up with some good results recently, Chris Chester's side. They've answered a few critics. I think they've won four games now, so... Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're looking a decent side. They've got a decent set of half-backs. That, that Mason Lino, I think his name is, uh, is a good player. And uh, the standoff whose name escapes me, he's been there a while now. What's the standoff called? I can't remember his name. I've had a memory blank, but you know the guy I mean. Um, the played Hull. Played at Hull. The lad at Wakefield, what's his uh, name? His Miller. Name. Jacob Miller, that's the one. Thank you, Rob. I can get a bit of Alzheimer's as we get a bit older. I seem to forget names now. But yeah, Jacob Miller, they've got a good set half, as I said. A couple of ex-Alford players in the team. So they're, they're always tough to beat Wakefield. And as you said there, the whole away fixture is going to be on the back of these two games in short space of time. Hopefully, we're going to have a team's power at home. But you can see us really running out of bodies there. Hull are playing well. They're in good form. So that's going to be another tough fixture for us. So... Uh, so, yeah, you, you fear for us at the moment, but, uh, but yeah, we'll be right behind the lads on Thursday. Yeah, let's talk about Swinton Lions, Paul. They travelled to London on Sunday and went down to defeat. 38 points to 24. Good performance by Stuart Littler's men. Uh, gave a lot. Unfortunately, didn't come back with the points. No, they were in that game, though. I, I saw the score at half-time and I've not seen any footage of the game. I've just been reading about it. But, you know, considering you look at the bookies, Cooper, I think, Swinton had like a 28-point start in that game and the bookies aren't normally fire off so it was always going to be a tough game for London decent side and Swinton have given a really good account of themselves there so they're getting close to that result I think it's 11 defeats in 11 games for them now and you know, supporters are obviously going to be despondent but that's a good effort to go down there to London and we've been saying it for the last few weeks it's a very, very tough league that championship so I'm not quite sure who Swinton playing next week and you'll probably be able to tell me that but that's going to give them a lot of credit they scored a few tries down there as well and they've not been overawed they've, they've competed against London Broncos and, and that should give them a lot of confidence now going forward yeah, the try scores, Lewis Roberts, Mike Butt, Kobe Green and Rodri Lloyd uh, for Swinton, Paul. Mike Butt gets over the line quite a lot for, for Swinton. He's a, he seems like a good try scorer. He certainly does, and Lewis Roberts as well. We know all about Lewis from his time at Salford. I think he scored a couple of tries in the last few games. Now he's uh, he's becoming a regular there, so it's nice to see a, a good youngster doing doing well there. So congratulations to Lewis. Rodri Lloyd as well is 
been a stalwart for Swinton over the last last few seasons, and uh, you know, a very good player for them. So, so yeah, it did sound like a tremendous effort. It was a score when I saw the latest score. I think Swinton were level at one stage there, and uh, you know, I thought they were going to pull off a real surprise victory. So, you know, I'd look to them there, and I'm, as I said before, I'm sure they're going to grow in confidence from that. Stuart Littler's having it tough at the moment, but times like this, you've just got to stick together, haven't you, and just keep going, and hopefully get that result sooner rather than later. Yeah, you're right, you're right Paul. Uh, Whitehaven next week for Swinton Lions. Hopefully opportunity there to, to pick up some points. Certainly. Well, I've just seen the scores today. There's been some cracking matches in, in League One. I think the, the Cumbrian derby between Barrow and Workington ended in a 24-all draw. That was sounded a tremendous game. There was over 3,000 at that game as well. So, you know, Rugby League in Cumbria is alive and well. Whitehaven... They had a fantastic win. Whitehaven thumped uh, York City Knights. I think it was 37-12 or something like that. Don't forget York City Knights. If you look at their side, they've, they've signed quite a lot of Super League experienced players for this season under coach James Ford, who's very highly rated. Whitehaven's had an excellent result there. So that'll be a tough game for Swinton. Where's that game at, Rob? Is that at uh, Haywood Road? It's away uh, in Whitehaven. It's away from home. That's going to be tough. Whitehaven, as you know, being a Salford supporter, is a tough place to go. <laughs> Um, I've seen us lose there and, and draw there and get a, get a couple of results as well. But that'll be another difficult game for Swinton. But they've got to uh, they've got to approach it and, and 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 put the best foot forward and hopefully hopefully they can get a result. Yeah, so that's all Europa League chat on the Sports Zone uh, this evening. Next up, we're going to talk in uh, boxing with James and Paul. Yeah, we most certainly are, Paul, aren't we? And I think the first fight that needs talking about is Javonta Tank Davis's victory at the weekend against Mario Barrios. So this was for the WBA regular championship at super lightweight. The first element of this fight I want to talk about, Paul, is Javonta Davis's raw power because he stepped up to his third weight class now and he's knocking out a man who I think about six, seven inches on him on the night. Incredible power. Oh, it certainly is, yeah. If you're looking at a guy who's got that much height on you, you know, there's obviously going to be a bit of power behind your opponent there. So to, to knock him out with that height difference, that's just showing you've got something there behind you. So, uh, so tremendous, tremendous result that to uh, to see. But uh, yeah, quite quite a shock to be honest with you. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, Javante Davis won his first world title at super featherweight. He then stepped up to lightweight one another, and then another now at super lightweight. But of course, Josh Taylor is the undisputed champion at super lightweight. Javante Davis only holds a regular belt. As I mean, he holds a regular belt also in uh, the lightweight division. Do you class him as a freeweight world champion, or do you class him as just a one-weight world champion? Because obviously two of them are just regular belts. Um, it depends how harsh you want to be, I suppose. If they're just a regular belt, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? I think Taylor's proved to be the top dog at the moment, hasn't he? So if you're to knock him off, then you are going to be right up there, aren't you? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a bit harsh. I don't like taking things away from people. But, yeah, I'd say... Go on, I say, say he's a one belt world champion, and I'll be I'll be harsh on him. But <laughs> I, I think um, I think he, he's got the big fights there to to go and take, and he's got the potential and the and the knockout power to get right up there and take those belts. And you know, people like Josh Taylor are going to get tested now, aren't they? You know, he's he's up there in the limelight and 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 the, and the man to be uh, to be targeting now. He's he's the belt holder, so um, you know he's going to get the big test coming up. You know, back into this year into next year. Floyd Mayweather, uh, Javonta Davis, I suppose, somewhat trainer as of late, uh, stepped up at the press conference and said that he has no interest in Javonta Davis fighting anybody outside of that PBC stable. That would mean that at, su at Super Light, there wouldn't be a fight with Josh Taylor. And back down at Lightweight, there wouldn't be fights with the likes of 
Ryan Garcia and Vasily Lomachenko, uh, Teofimo Lopez, Devin Haney. Do you think it's a bit of a scared move, this from Floyd Mayweather, seemingly keeping Javante Davis away from anybody who could challenge him? He does because, you know, boxers always want, well, they should do. They should always want to challenge themselves against against the best. And you've just named probably half a dozen of the best boxers in the world at the moment in, in those divisions. I mean, they're the, the top names, aren't they? They're the household names. They're the names that people speak about. And, and these are the guys that are in the big money fights on, on television. So if you want to be the best in, in your sport, you think you'd be, be sounding those names out. You'd want to challenge yourself. I mean, it just seems a strange decision to be what to be in your own little sort of world. So I don't really get where they where they're coming from on that one. I mean, if it was me, I'd want to to, to go in against the best people and, and and challenge myself. So it does seem a strange statement to make. Javante Davis, of course, now operating at three separate weight classes. Would you like him to stay at super light, where he's just won this you know version of a world title? Maybe get in there with the likes of Josh Taylor. Would you like to see him down at lightweight in the mix of the likes of Tiafimo Lopez and people like that? Or would you like to see him back down at his natural weight class as super featherweight? Um, there's, there's some there's some big fights on all the divisions there, really. I think in lightweight division, you've got the likes of uh, Lopez, you've got Lamachenko as well, who's had a good result over the weekend. These are elite name fighters, aren't they? And as you said there, uh, you, you've got Josh Taylor as well. So... I think that there's big fights in all those divisions for you. I like the lightweight division. I've always liked that division. There's some some big names domestically there as well and around Europe and the rest of the world. So lightweight is always a buzzing division. So that would probably be my preferred choice for him. But I think any of those divisions is going to get big name fights if he wants them. Sticking with the Floyd Mayweather theme, he's been going back and forth with an old rival, Manny Pacquiao. Mayweather's been saying Pacquiao needs to fight for money and that's why he's getting in with the likes of Errol Spence. Pacquiao has replied and said, I'm not getting in there for money. I'm getting in there for the challenge. It's actually you that's getting in there for the money, fighting the likes of Logan Paul and YouTubers. Which side of the debate do you fall on here, Paul? Are you more on the side of Pacquiao or more on the side of Mayweather? Yeah, I'm 100% behind Pacquiao, to be honest with you. I think Pacquiao's a, you know, a real, real honest pro that's been around a long time now. You'll probably be able to tell me how old he is. I bet he's 42, 41, 42, something like that. Now he's been around, he's got a fantastic record, been in lots and lots of big fights. And he just comes across as that character who, who loves the sport and, and, and just wants a challenge and, and will challenge the best. I've got nothing against against Floyd Mayweather whatsoever. He's just been a terrific boxer and you know his record speaks for itself. But when you look back at the, the, the YouTuber fight, and, and all credit to him, you know, he, he gave a really good account of himself against one of the best boxers, you know, the world's seen. But it does seem a bit of a circus, doesn't it? So I don't think you could ever accuse uh, Manny Pacquiao of doing it just for the money. I think he he's always wants to challenge himself. And, and even when he's been beaten, he's always wanted to right those wrongs and, and have the rematches as well. So I think that's disrespectful to, to, to Pacquiao. But, but I've got a lot of respect for, um, for Mayweather as well. But, you know, you know I, I'd probably lean towards uh, Manny Pacquiao. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. Sticking with Manny Pacquiao, his fight with Errol Spence was one that I think we were all universally looking forward to. But it's looking that fight could be called off now due to the fact that Pacquiao had supposedly already signed a contract to fight Mikey Garcia. Garcia is going to be taking this one to courts. And, you know, would it be a shame if this one gets called off? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I don't think 
Manny Pacquiao's in the position to be losing fights and having fights called off at the stage of his career. As I said before, he's not getting any younger. So what you don't want is is things like that happening and getting delayed and waiting six months for somebody else. So I think he just wants to, to, to be fighting, doesn't he? And he's in like an Indian summer of his career. So you've got to take the opportunities when you come. You don't want postponements and, and, and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, I think it'd be, it'd be a body blow for him if that was to happen. Where do you think Mikey Garcia's head will be at the moment? Obviously, he supposedly already had an agreement in place with Pacquiao and he signed another contract to fight Errol Spence. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he never gets any easy fights, does he? You've just mentioned the two fights there. I don't think I'd like to fight either of them, to be honest with you. But, uh, but yeah, he's probably going to be tough for him at the moment. But he's just got to focus on, on the task in hand and whoever he's fighting against. So... You know, he can't bring politics into it. And if I was to fight him and was to fight the other guy, you've just got to do what your team says, what your promoter says. Once that contract's signed, you you focus on that, get in the camp and make sure you put in 100% into into your, your training camp and whoever you're fighting. I mean, you let your team and, and your promotion and your management team, you know, look after who you're going to fight. You just go in and do the business. That's your your job, I suppose, at the end of the day. So he just needs to focus on his, on his training and making sure he's in tip-top condition for whoever he's going to get in the ring with. Carrying on with this, I suppose, YouTuber theme, as we as we just talked about Floyd May over there. Jake Paul, the YouTube star who's knocked out the likes of Ben Askren, a wrestler, a, a basketball player in Nate Robinson, and a fellow YouTuber in Anderson Gibb. He said in five years' time, he thinks he'll be in the ring beating Canelo Alvarez. A, a bit of a ludicrous prediction, or is there some truth in it? Um, I think it's a very bold prediction. I think you'd be a very brave man to say that to Canelo Alvarez. I mean... You look at his record recently, and some of the some of the fighters he's he's put away, particularly British fighters, and with some of these British fighters he's beat, we thought these are special fighters, and, and they've, they've conquered everything in Britain, and then they've come up against Alvarez, and to me, he's a different level. He's he's a step up there. You look at him and you think, wow, you've got world level, and I think then you've got elite level, and there's not many people who fight at elite level, but Canelo Alvarez does. So if you're taking him lightly and thinking you're going to beat him, yeah, you, you might do. You're going to have to put an awful lot of effort in and have a, a lot of talent and skill as well to beat him because he's a different a different animal, I think. you know, He's such a tough bloke, granite chin, great power, great engine. You're going to, he's going to take some special athlete. You beat him, then, yeah, I hold my hands up. You've done a super, super job. But, yeah, if you can talk the talk, yeah, do it. But... You get in there with him, and I, th- I think you're looking at a massive, massive challenge. One of Jake Paul's biggest haters, I suppose, was Kelly Sowerland, the boxing promoter. He was dead against Jake Paul getting involved in the sport of boxing. He said that he'd even be able to beat Jake Paul himself. But he's now signed a deal with fellow YouTuber KSI. They're going to be joining boxing promotions together to try and you know promote celebrity fights. This is show a bit of hypocrisy in boxing because. Kelly was so against Jake Paul in the sport, but now he's teamed up with another YouTuber to, you know, make similar fights to this. Well, I think sometimes money sort of makes the world go round, doesn't it? Um, and yeah, you might say he's a bit two-faced there, but he's probably seen the amount of money and, and viewers that have been watching these these YouTube and things and probably thinks, I want a bit of that and I want to get involved with it. So he's probably a businessman at the end of the day. He's not a sportsman, is he? So probably be a fool not to get involved with it. But it's not, you know, as a boxing sort of purist like myself and like you are, James. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but it always seems a bit uncomfortable with me and a bit, bit of a circus. But I suppose if these lads are doing the training um, and they're not taking it like a joke, 
and they put in all the effort in, then 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 why not? I mean, it, it's a very very dangerous sport, a very very unforgiving sport, and it's not something that it's not a game. It's not something you can just try out and. You know, if celebrities are going to get involved, you've got to make sure you are ready to do it. Because if you don't, you could be in for, you know, a bad injury in there, a life-threatening injury in there, or or ultimately pay for it with your life. Boxing is such a dangerous sport, and I don't like to see anybody taking it lightly and taking the mickey out of it. So if people are being serious about it, as long as it's managed well and, you know, they've got the right medical people there and things like that, it's got to be done properly, because otherwise someone's going to get serious in the Most definitely. Now, moving on to another legend, we're going to talk about Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. He's asked his sons to retire from the sport of boxing. Recently, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. was defeated in the boxing ring by a 48-year-old former UFC champion, Anderson Silva. So, an embarrassing loss for Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. We talk so often about, you know, boxers not being able to get in the cage and MMA fighters not being able to get in the ring because they're entirely different sports. But now a big name like Chavez has been beaten by an MMA fighter crossing over. He's in a bit of a disgraced position here. And do you think his dad is right for, to tell him to retire from the sport? Because surely him, a former world champion, if he'd have taken it seriously, he would have beaten a form, you know, an, a 48-year-old UFC fighter. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't understand why he wouldn't take it serious. I mean, every time you get in that ring, you should take it serious, whether you're just training, sparring or whatever. If you've not got your head on, you, you're going to get yourself hurt, aren't you? So... I can't understand that. I think he, his, his father's probably just thinking of, of his son, really, and, you know, his health. And, you know, a defeat like that would shock anybody, I think, and make anybody sort of think about their career and about, you know, whether they've got the hunger for it anymore, whether they've got the legs for it anymore, and whether they've got the speed of thought and the, and the brain for it anymore. So, yeah, that sort of defeat would shock you. And I think he's quite right to to sort of be concerned about it anyway. Definitely, it just, uh, just seems... a for a world champion to be beaten by a 48-year-old who's not got a massive boxing sort of pedigree and, and, and experience behind him, is, is I'd say is a big shock. Yeah, most definitely. And now from one legend to another, Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest names in the history of not just boxing, but sport altogether. His grandson has signed a deal with top rank, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of pre- uh, pressure on him as he makes his professional debut. They certainly will. I, I didn't know that, James. That's news to me, and that's that's exciting news, isn't it? I mean, if he's got any of the Muhammad Ali, um, Cassius Clay genes, I mean, that that'll be exciting to see, won't it? You know, I, I, obviously, me and you are uh, too young to, to to have watched any of Muhammad Ali's fights, you know, live. But you've seen, I mean, we've seen plenty of them, haven't we, on video? Watched the documentaries. If you've not seen the the documentaries about Muhammad Ali, absolutely tremendous stuff. So, so yeah, if he's got a couple of his genes, it'd be well exciting to see. So, yeah, like I said, news to me that, so I'll definitely be straight onto the internet afterwards checking him out. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to check him out, James, definitely on the internet and uh, and see all about that because it, it sounds exciting. As I said before, if he's got a couple of the genes of, of his grandfather, Muhammad Ali, it's going to make him a real special flight fighter and, and, and want to, for us to get excited about. Most definitely. I mean, making his middleweight debut soon. We can't wait to see him in action. But continuing along the top rank theme, we've got Vasily Lomachenko, who was back in action at the weekend. And he scored a ninth round stoppage over Matayoshi Nakatani. And it's fantastic to see Lomachenko back in action, getting wins. Because after the loss against Lopez, it felt like a lot of people wrote him off. Yeah, he certainly did. I mean, he came into that, that Lopez fight after the 
after a wonderful couple of years, didn't he, over 2018 and 2019, where he beat the two top-ranked British fighters in Anthony Crawl and Luke Campbell, also that winning us Lanaris as well. So the Lopez fight was a setback for him, but you know, to come back in style there with a ninth-round knockout against a really good fighter as well, it just shows you that you know he's not, not the finished man, 33 years of age, he's not got the biggest sort of record in, in, in professional boxing at all but he, I hope he stays around a bit long because he's special to watch his footwork's absolutely amazing the way he works his way around the ring and around his opponent you know the way he bounces off that right foot he, he's tremendous to watch he's, he's, he's a great boxer to watch so uh, I hope we see him in with some more some more massive fights in that middleweight division hey, sorry lightweight division yeah most certainly I mean Lomachenko great performance he beat somebody who Tiafimo Lopez had beaten does that then create the atmosphere for a rematch between the pair, or do you feel like Tiafimo won comfortably enough first time around for there not to be a rematch? Uh, well, I know it was a unanimous decision first time around, but I think Lamachenko is one of those fighters that can improve on that performance and you know can sit around with his team and look at it and think you know where he was beaten and what we need to improve on. I don't think he's the same sort of fighter who'd go in there and do the same thing again and get the same results. I think he'd change things around and and work things differently. And there's, there's definitely you know that with the skills that he possesses, he could go in there and upset upset Lopez and win the rematch. So it's something I like to see. I mean, the first fight was a very, very good fight, very entertaining, as I said, unanimous decision. But it's a fight I'd like to see happen again, definitely. I mean, some rematches, you sometimes look at them and think, no, I don't want to see that again. We'll only get the same result. But no, I firmly believe in that one. We could see a different result. So it's, it's something I'd definitely like to see. Switching over now to British shores. And Anthony Joshua, in an interview with Sky Sports, has said that Alexander Usyk offers absolutely no danger to him whatsoever. Is that a bad mindset to be going in with against you know a former undisputed cruiserweight champion? Definitely, yeah. I think it's a silly thing to say, really. You know, Usyk, we all know, carries absolutely tremendous power. What he did at cruiserweight, and I think he's he's transported that power and, and and made the move to to heavyweight. When I've seen him, he's looked quite comfortable. I mean, he's not the biggest man in the world, but. He's a very athletic boxer for his size. And I think in that heavyweight division at the size he's at, he can, he can move. But I don't think his power's compromised as well. He still carries plenty of power in his punch. And, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty slick operator, is Uzik. So if I was Anthony Joshua, it's not something I'd be saying, really. I mean, we saw him come unstuck again, Andy Ruiz, didn't we? And in that fight, nobody expected that to happen. So I think he needs to be wary, really. I mean, he's come unstuck before. He's not unbeatable. He's not invincible. He needs to just concentrate on his own game. And if he gets things right and performs to the best of his ability, then, yeah, he should beat Alexander Usyk. But I don't think to sort of write your opponent off is, is sort of the right thing to do. Most certainly not. And talking Eddie Hearn, his fight counts will be the first cards that he's produced to have fans back in attendance. And it's a massive thing for the zone to do to introduce themselves to the UK crowd. But tickets are going to be sold for a minimum of £750. Is this too steep? Yeah. Disgraceful, mate. When you think about what people have gone through over the last sort of don't know how long it is now. So let's say 16, it'll be 18 months, something like that. People have been jobless, they've been on furlough, they've lost money, you know, businesses have closed. You've only got less of things on the radio where, you know, places haven't been able to open and people are really feeling it, aren't they? And the families are feeling it. And to me, you should be helping people out, make, perhaps just make things a bit cheaper so people can come back and enjoy things. Why sort of charge people an extortionate amount of money? I know the sports have suffered as well, but I think that the suffering 
it's it's probably not been as bad as sort of the general public and, and people who had, had had the jobs taken away from them and things like that. So sometimes I don't know these these people who make the the big decisions should should look at the bigger picture. Sometimes it's always the the poor sort of people of the general public that have to sort of cop out huge money. I know they don't have to, but you know you put some tickets out there. There's always going to be people who'd love to go and who'll, who'll end up stretching themselves to spend that money. So it does seem a bit extortionate, you know, with what people have been through. Yeah, definitely. Now, that's all the boxing we have time for today. We'll be back on the Sports Zone this time next week, talking everything in the world of the squared circle. But now it's time for a bit. Well, that's all the boxing we have time for today, Paul. But we'll be back this time next week to talk everything that's going on in the world of the squared circle. But now it's time to break down the European Championship. I'm going to throw it over to Rob to kick us off. Yeah, what an amazing competition it's been so far, James. Goals, drama, unbelievable stuff. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. And the thing I want to kick off with is Wales. Their campaign came to a crushing end at the hands of Denmark in a 4-0 crushing defeat. Were you expecting that? I wasn't, James. I thought it was quite disappointing. Uh, for, for Wales really I expected more of them I thought they played well in the previous games I expected them to really test Denmark but for me they didn't Denmark were in total control throughout Wales didn't really have any chances Gareth Bale didn't really do what I expected him to do and lead this team to, to the next round and very disappointing, I think, for, for the Welsh, uh, you know, their fans. Obviously not been able to get to many games. Obviously have been travelling around Europe, aren't they, trying to, trying to complete fixtures. And, uh, yeah, to go down 4-0 uh, against Denmark is disappointing. What do you think? Yeah, extremely disappointing. I mean, Denmark were the underdogs going in. So the fact that they won 4-0 is just, just a bad, bad reflection on Wales. And where does this leave them going into future tournaments? Because this is an extremely bad defeat. Yeah, it makes you think. Obviously, Rob Page in charge at the moment. Um, he'll, he'll have to think about his actions in that second half because I thought Wales needed uh, to go on the attack and they didn't do it, James. And, and obviously, they did concede a goal sort of in that early in that second half, which which might have been a, a telling thing. But you got the likes of Gareth Bale as well. What's his future at international level? You know, it wasn't sort of being drawn on the questions in the interviews after the match but this Welsh team sort of rely on him to add that bit of magic as well as Ramsey so he, it's a big test for him really as well because obviously can he carry on carrying this Welsh team um, they have some good players in this team Jam, uh, Dan James coming through he's, he could be the next generation uh, but for me it's interesting to see what happens with Bale because he's he is top class. He was at Tottenham uh, this season, but yes, he's going back to, to Real Madrid with a new coach there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in his normal club career, never mind his, uh, his international career. So if he can get back to his best at, uh, at Real Madrid now, I think that ship sailed. It will be interesting. Obviously, he fell out with Zidane quite badly, didn't he? And uh, now Zidane has departed, gives him opportunity to, to impress the next coach coming in. He knows where the goals are. He's a very good player, but age, is that catching up with him? Can Real Madrid carry him as well? He's got he's surrounded by better players. He, he He's able to reach them heights again. But... Is it is it time for Bale to to to, to drop down, baby, to the net the level below? Um, we'll have to wait and see. You're hoping you're hoping he can carry on delivering, but uh, Real Madrid is always a tough task in it. They don't they don't let you rest on your morals in uh, in Spain, especially in Madrid. Yeah, but now let's talk about the victors of the game in Denmark. And I think after everything that happened with Ericsson, the whole world is behind them now. And I think to every country, Denmark is the second team. How proud 
of the team do you think Denmark will be? Oh, it's like a fairy tale, isn't it? Really, you know, from the from the depths of Christian Eriksen uh, collapsing on the pitch to a sort of a last minute screamer to get you through uh, to the next round, and now going through to Wales, that they're able to dream, aren't they? And and who knows? It's there's some films that you know you have the fairy tale ending, and you know if Denmark do go all the way and win this competition, James, I'm sure some movie director somewhere will be penciling this in for a for a drama for us all to enjoy. Yeah, it'd be a great Hollywood movie, wouldn't it? Mm. But I mean, Christian Eriksen himself, he must be absolutely delighted to see how well Denmark are doing. Oh yeah, he's obviously, you know, recovering in his hospital bed and he's obviously looking at this team and, and he's probably thinking, what if what had happened if this didn't happen to me? And, you know, we're hoping he's, he's recovering well and, and he's got a, still got a career in football because obviously what happened it did shock everybody and especially him himself. So you're hoping that the, the Danes can continue to play well for him uh, and bring hopefully bring the trophy home. Yeah, but while we've been on the topic of Wales, let's talk about another home nation who've exited the tournament, and that is Scotland. They mm. failed to make it past the group stage. Their last game was a 3-1 defeat to Croatia. And how do you think as a nation, they'll feel about their tournament as a whole? Yeah, it, it, I suppose they've waited, sort of, is it 20, 30 years or something to, to get there? And it's, it's interesting, obviously, you know, they tried the best. Steve Clark, the coach, he, he's basically said that it's a kind of a, a learning process for him and his players and they are better for this experience that they've that's come through and you're kind of hoping that they can build on it um yeah they only managed to, to score one goal they leave away some silly goals but you're hoping they can continue to build and, and get better and world cups coming up and future euros i don't think they'll be waiting too long uh, to get back on the big stage again yeah i don't think they will either but let's move on to some of these last 16 games and Italy beat Austria 2-1. And, you know, for 90 minutes, it was nil-nil. And it looked like Austria could cause the first upset of the last 16. Were you surprised that they didn't do it? Did, did you feel something in the air? Or did you feel like Italy were always going to come through? Well, with Italy, they're stalwarts, aren't they? They know how to win, uh, the Italians. Uh, Austria trying the best, he has to be said. But the Italians made some couple of substitutions in extra time. And that... And that changed the game for me and you're hoping who knows what happened you're hoping the Italians might have found that magic and, and they continue to, to do that in the next couple of rounds and go all the way they've got solid defence they know how to score goals now, which is important Mancini's got them playing well so who knows what might happen you're hoping the Azuri can, can go and entertain and go and win yeah we most certainly are and now moving on to the other games which have gone on today and Czech Republic defeated the Netherlands in what for me was a massive shock I wasn't mm. expecting it at all I thought the Netherlands were going to run right against the Czechs but that most certainly wasn't the case and they've advanced to the quarterfinals surely the Netherlands will be, will be absolutely gutted with this yeah, it's difficult really because obviously Holland are a big side. They haven't qualified for the Euros or the World Cup in the last uh, two competitions. So they were looking at this one to be the one that springs them back into sort of Europe's uh, elite. Getting beat at this stage of the competition probably doesn't do that. And this question has got to be asked of the, the Holland's uh, sort of coaching structure and have they got enough players? Memphis Depay, you know, was a bit of a flop at Man United, but he's their star man. Has he, has he you know, has he got to shoulder some responsibility for this uh, for this knockout? That's the big question for me. Holland, 
you know, like they say, they're a giant, aren't they? Look at Italy and and Germany and Holland and England. That they are the big the big dogs in the in the European scene. So to 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 go out at this stage, it's probably a, a bad result for them. Yeah, they'll be absolutely gutted. But why do you think it's not clicked in recent years for the Netherlands? It's weird, really, because obviously the the domestic league is dominated from the sort of Ajax and PSV and they're kind of a, a sort of a, a selling league, aren't they? They get talent and then they then they flog it on. And it can't that kind of affects uh you know their structure and their players. Yeah, they go abroad and, and they and they get experience, but when they come back together, can they find that magic? That's the big question. And maybe they've suffered from that in the last few years. Uh but They've started finding a bit of bit of a bit of skill, James, and a bit of luck and a bit of togetherness, and they qualified, which which is great. Um, but it's a bit like I said, getting out, going out at this stage, is is not good uh, for them. Obviously, they'll 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 have a look at that and they'll they'll digest it and uh, get ready for the next competition coming up. Well, Portugal obviously crashed out on Sunday night against Belgium, but before that, they were involved in an incredible group of death finale night as themselves France, Germany and Hungary battle for those two places in the last 16 and it was incredibly exciting Rob what you make of the games two two uh, two 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 draws in fixtures that's a bit of a tongue twister isn't it but <laughs> Portugal and France first off I mean what a game oh yeah two giants of European football colliding James playing fantastic football it was it was a you know a pleasure to watch really that's what we tune to these championships for don't we you know big moments and big games and it was delivered fantastically uh, in that in that group and the group of death it was and, and that's and that's the, what it's all about you, you tune in like I said to, to, to watch uh, a fantastic football and, and get things on the edge of your seat and, that, and that's what happened in these games yeah I mean Germany and Hungary finished 2-2 as well Hungary you know 1-0 up and then it went to 1-1 then 2-1 up they were so close to achieving this monumental achievement of making the last 16 of the European Championships and we were absolutely devastated they didn't just quite get over the line because I think everybody the underdog story we all wanted Hungary to get to the next round yeah I think with Hungary James you know they are a side that, that are looking to succeed, but they were facing the Germans who have been there and done that, and they know how, how to win football matches in big competitions. That's exactly what happened. They, they managed to sneak the result, um, and not, and obviously Hungary not able to, to, to win that game. It's going to be disappointing for the Hungarians, but they'll learn from that and obviously want to build for next time. Most certainly. Of course, due to COVID, we can't record the show live at the moment. So we record on a Sunday night to go out on the Tuesday. So some of the games that will have happened over the course of the week that will have happened by the time this show goes live, Rob. Croatia and Spain, France and Switzerland. Both these games will have already been won and lost and people will know the results of these. So a quick, just fire predictions. What do you think these games will have finished like? Croatia, Spain, first of all. Croatia, Spain, I'm thinking Spain will win. Won 5 0 in the last game, I think, against Slovakia. So uh, they'll be fired up, ready to, uh, to, to to carry on and kick on. We talked about Spain not being a, uh, a massive world powerhouse at the moment, but certainly putting five past uh, Slovakia put me back in my, uh, in, my, in, my pou- in my pouch. Yeah, it took you right back to 2008, didn't it? But then <laughs> France and Switzerland as well. France and Switzerland, uh, France are a mega team, aren't they? Full of internationals, full of class over over the pitch. Uh, Switzerland will not be daunted by that. They will try and play football, but I can only see one winner, and that's France. Yeah, and then Belgium-Portugal, that's just finished as we record. 1-0 to Belgium. The Portuguese, the holders of this championship, they've gone out and Ronaldo 
Will he get another opportunity to win a big international competition? I, I would say Cristiano Ronaldo, what a legend he's been in, in, in football in terms. Leading his Portuguese team uh, to the Euros, Euros win last time round. Um, what this competition was one step too far for him. Um, will he get another chance? Probably it'll be, what, 30 38 next time, 40 next time. It's a, it's a lot big ask, even though he is phys- a physical specimen, James. Um, it might be just too too much for him. What do you think? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, he seems to be defying the ageing process. I mean, <laughs> people say father time catches up with everyone, but Ronaldo doesn't seem to have an interest because he still looks about 25, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. It's mental to see him looking and performing and doing everything that he does at this age. I think he will have another World Championship left in him, another World Cup. One last roll of the dice. Will he be around come the next Euros? Probably, because I can't see him four years of him. I can't see him going downhill that much in four years. I think he might well have one more World Cup, one more Euros left in him. But we'll have to wait and see. And now moving on. England versus Germany. This game will have just finished as people are churning into this show. I'm thinking that England will have won the game 1-0. What do you think? We're hoping so. We're going to sound pretty silly if they haven't, James. But you, you kind of hoping that the 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 journey continues, the dream carries on. England and Germany, two big, big, big you know countries in Europe, two great footballing nations who will slug it out. And we're hoping that obviously we we win. Uh, but we know it's going to be a classic. We both know it's going to be full of emotion, and and people tuning to this show will have been involved in that process. And hopefully we'll be talking about England in the next round next week. Most definitely. We're all hoping for that. But the game that's just about to start is Sweden versus the Ukraine. It's a great fixture, this one. A fairly evenly match. I mean, I'd edge towards Sweden, but it could go either way, this, couldn't it? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh, Sweden without Zatlan uh, are managing uh, to, to, to make some difference here at the, the Euros and you know, it, even though he is in the team, that them players know how to play, so we'll have to wait and see how, how that plays out James you know if, if they continue to, to get results um, you know they could go all the way Right Rob now it's time to have a quick look at the quarterfinal matchups we know about and this one is incredible two heavyweight going to war Belgium Italy two of the favourites to win this entire competition they've been playing brilliant football throughout so far who wins this one because one of the top dogs of the tournament will be knocked out in this match well, it's attack v defence, isn't it, James? The Italians, super in defence. Belgium, with all that attacking uh, prowess, it's going to be fantastic. The Euros is coming alive. I'm thinking Belgium to win it 2-0. Belgium to win it 2-0. And let's look at the next game. Czech Republic versus everybody's second team, the team that everybody adores. It's Denmark. <laughs> Who picks up the win here? It's going to be difficult. Czech Republic on a bit of a bit of a run at the moment. Denmark's got the the hearts of, of the uh, hearts of everybody involved in these Euro nations, uh, European Championships. So you you're kind of hoping that Denmark's fairy tale continues. So we're going for a Denmark win there. Yeah, I think I'm agreeing with you there, Rob. I hope that Denmark get the victory as well. Great. Now moving on to club football, Rob, and Salford City have had their fixtures released, and the first game of the season will be Leighton Orient. What do you make of this one? Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Obviously, when the Football League season starts, we all look for that fixture, don't we? Uh, what we're all looking for. Salford start at home to Leighton Orient, building on last year's success, James. They brought a few faces in as well. It's going to make a big difference to this team. Gary Neville and the boys of uh, 92 are going to be looking at 
possibly going up to that next level, James, and you're hoping they can bring the players in to take them there. All the fans are excited about what's to come, especially after we've watched the Euros and all that excitement. Uh, can't wait to get back to domestic football. Yeah, looking at our friendlies, we're playing the likes of Lincoln City, and you think pre-seasonally important for Salford this year? Oh, it will be, James. We've got to make sure they get uh, the, the right blend of youth experience and the new faces come in after bedding as well. And we, we, we're looking and hoping that this season will be as successful as the other ones. We've had some great seasons in the last couple of years, you know, FA Cup runs and, uh, you know, Cup wins. And it's, it's it's fantastic for the for the club and the city that we've got a team now that's building to success. And we're hoping that they, they continue on that road. Obviously, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. Uh, players, obviously, having that experience last year in this division are going to be better for it, James. So we're hoping for more success to come. Now, looking at our Carabao Cup draw, we've got a very tough game against Derby County. Not an easy one by any stretch of the imagination. Can Salford come through this? Yeah, it's going to be a tough game. Uh, playing Derby County, Wayne Rooney and the class of 92. There's a Man United link there. So they're going to be uh, looking at, hopefully, you know, putting putting one over on the on the big dog uh, and getting through to the next round. And that's the exciting thing about cup competitions. Anything can happen, James. And so obviously with a minute to go uh, on the show, uh, what's your looking back? What's the biggest cup, uh, cup uh, giant killing that you can remember? Biggest cup giant killing. Oh, my word. You put me on the spot there, Rob. I mean, there's there's a lot, isn't there, over the years? I mean, there's been some fantastic giant killings in the FA Cup and, you know, the, the League Cup as well. I mean, United, I think, went out to... Talking Derby County, I think United went out to uh, Derby County yeah. in the League Cup in about 2010. Yeah. And that was a monstrous upset at the time. I mean... I mean, maybe Salford can do one over Derby and, you know, do a bit of justice for the for the whole Salford area, Greater Manchester area as a whole. I think that'd be nice. But talking about Wayne Rooney, Rob, he's coming into this one. What mindset do you think will be in, of course, you know, playing a team that's, you know, owned by the likes of Gary Neville, Paul Scholes, the class of uh, 92, etc.? It's going to be it's going to be exciting for him, obviously. Uh, he had a tough start with, with Derby County uh, and he's, he's battled through now and got through that difficult period and he's hoping to build on that success. And we're obviously going to be talking about that all on the Sports Zone, on the Salford City Radio in the next few weeks and months. Big thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat on Salford City Radio.